Season 2, Episode 9 with Carol Vestacom, Language Learning and NLP. This is the Actual Fluency Podcast, helping you become a better language learner by providing motivating weekly inspiration, as well as top tips and tricks from expert guests. And now, your host, Chris Broholm. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. This is episode nine of the second season, and I'm so excited, uh, mostly because the sun is shining outside, my cold is clearing up, although you might still hear a little bit of, of it in today's episode, but I'm just feeling great. And today, I just wanted to thank you for being a listener of the podcast. Thank you for downloading the episode every week, and thank you for the guys who sent me emails uh, thank you especially to the people who took the time to leave a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two and it really helps the show. So if you have been using iTunes to listen to the show or you're using iTunes now, you know, go in and leave a review of the show because it really helps. That's kind of like when iTunes looks at podcast quality, they say, hmm, who has a lot of reviews and uh, ratings? And basically that gets the show out to more listeners and, you know, Spreading the language learning love is all we're here for. So if you do that, thank you so much. It means a ton to me. One announcement I have today is that I'm happy to and really excited to announce the first real sponsor of the actual Fluency podcast. I have been sort of unofficially looking for sponsors for ever since uh, maybe uh, half a year ago or something. But the problem was if I did get offers, it would be of very shady companies or, you know, um, very questionable methods, uh, high quality but low, uh, high price, sorry, low quality but high price products, products I didn't really believe in or products completely unrelated to language learning. I was like, why would I advertise your, I don't know, um, <laughs> tires for cars? I'm like, I didn't actually get a request to advertise tires but you get the idea people are like oh you have an audience let me advertise my crap with you basically and I just said no because I want the sponsors of the program to be as relevant as the content and I want it to be good I want to be able to trust the people behind it I want to know that they that this is legit you know it's not about the money that doesn't really matter at the end of course it helps me to produce better episodes it helps me to produce more episodes to get a sponsor but it's not the end all be all but i'm happy to announce that the mellow method uh, founded by jimmy mellow uh, is going to be our sponsor for the next period of time and you will hear the a spot during today's episode where you can hear a little bit more about the mellow method but basically the cool part about mellow method is that it's relevant to teachers and students of languages so if you're interested in you know starting your own little teaching business you can actually become a mellow method teacher and you can find all the information about that on mellowmethod.com um, but i hope you uh, you'll enjoy it and i hope you check out mellow method i'm definitely going to be starting it because uh part of the part of the uh, sponsorship deal and you know i want to i want to be totally honest with you guys uh, part of the sponsorship deals is is jimmy's going to teach me portuguese with the mellow method and, you know, as a language learner, you can't really turn that kind of deal down. So <laughs> I took um, um, I took took him up on that immediately and uh, we're going to be starting soon. And also that will give me a nice perspective on the Mellow Method. I can really tell you guys what I think about it. Um, and I'll, of course, document my progress on the blog and uh, we'll see how that goes. But anyway, today's episode, we're jumping right into it now. And uh, Carol Vesterkamp, she's an amazing polyglot, amazing person, very kind. And uh, she focuses 
in her talks about how language sort of shapes not only our surroundings but also ourselves sort of through NLP which is neurolinguistic programming and uh, we get to talk a little bit about that today and also her sort of learning languages by osmosis it seems like but maybe there isn't there maybe there isn't that much to it but you know it's an interesting episode today and I, I I'm really excited to bring it to you so have a great day wherever you are in the world and may the sun shine on you and I'll see you in the next one all right we're back with another episode of the actual fluency podcast and today i'm very happy to welcome onto the show carol vesterkamp carol how are you doing i'm doing fine thank you you sound like you have a bit of a cold though <laughs> yeah. yeah that's the tax for going to berlin i guess uh, the gathering oh. uh, but uh, yeah i'm feeling much better now and uh, and you're feeling good i'm feeling fine thanks bit nostalgic though missing the the atmosphere in berlin yeah let polyglots together <laughs> yeah it's always fun to go to uh, meet a lot of polyglots it's always so inspiring and motivational and i'm i'm sure we'll get into that in just a few minutes but before we get into that can we just get a little um who's carol you know what's your story how did you get into learning languages uh, because i know you speak a ton of languages i actually don't know how many at this point but how did you get into learning all these languages and and sort of what's the the story behind it <laughs> well <laughs> first of all i'm dutch but I, you might say i'm like half dutch because my mom was canadian so i was brought up bilingually that helps mm -hmm. um brought up in the netherlands but speaking english at home and then in the netherlands at school we learn uh, german and french as well it depends a little bit on your uh, level of, of schooling, but, well, most people do learn at least some of uh, German and French. And at school, I wasn't really very good at languages, but then we went on holiday to what was then Yugoslavia. And I learned, I started learning Croatian, which I then called Serbo-Croatian, uh, because, well, nobody seemed to speak any language I spoke, and I'm very communicative. So, actually, then I discovered, like, hey, I'm very good at picking up these languages and these accents because people very soon used to say oh are you from Slovenia because apparently people there have the same accent I do when they speak Croatian and I said no I'm Dutch wow you're really good and then I started thinking which is of course very very important that you have the belief that you can do it I thought oh I am good at languages I speak five languages and well actually it went from there on Cool. Um, yeah, it, it's really cool because then, let me see, when I finished high school, I studied physical education. Everybody said, why aren't you into languages? And I said, well, because I can do that myself. I don't <laughs> need to study them. <laughs> and it, I thought it would be boring to translate other people's words. Uh, you know, I was very talkative. I am very talkative myself. So I studied physical education, but I worked uh, in Italy giving uh, teaching swimming and doing all kinds of well animation programs for the tourists and I learned Italian in like well two weeks is a bit exaggerated but with uh, my French and I had also had Latin and Greek at school you know the ancient Latin and Greek well with that it seemed to me that I was speaking Italian within two weeks of being there wow yeah so I don't know and then I loved salsa dancing, so I went to places where there were lots of Latin Americans dancing salsa, and I started speaking Spanish, and actually that's the way my language learning goes. I just throw myself into the into the crowd, kind of, 
Wow. Well, not like crowdsurfing, <laughs> <laughs> in a different way, maybe. Yeah, that would be fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, I don't know, I just seem to pick up the logic of the language, you know. So people often say, oh, well, how about the grammar? And I say, yeah, well, if I hear people saying, um, for instance, in Spanish or Italian, the, the, the I is always with an O in the end, then I just pick that up. I don't need to consciously study that. So it's hablar, it's yo hablo. You right. know, and um, I don't know, comer yo como. And that I, that's something people don't understand. And maybe I don't even understand it myself, but I just, well, pick it up. <laughs> hmm. It's really interesting because uh, when we were talking in Berlin recently, it it seemed like you just kind of picked up languages. It didn't seem like much of a sort of a study effort. Like a lot of people have to, you know, sit at the desk and go through some teaching courses and maybe you know, have some tutoring, and then maybe half a year later, they're at a sort of a mediocre base level, but that you you seem genuinely talented at, at picking up languages. Would that be a, a good assessment? Well, it's, I find it hard to say that about myself, but I think it is the case, because um, when I first went to the first polyglot conference in, or um, was it Budapest, I actually said that. I said, I'm a lazy polyglot because I heard of all these people, you know, wanting to take up their languages to the next level and studying like 20 minutes a day or 40 or whatever time slot. And I thought, uh, I don't study. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really study. And my latest language, um, well, that I've been consciously studying for the first time was Greek or is Greek. So I go to Greek class every week during an hour but then again I hardly ever do homework and I see my fellow students uh, you know struggling with grammar and they're not understanding things and I I don't know if the teacher explains like one time I think oh uh-huh yeah that makes sense if I hadn't understood it already and then well you know there it is yeah <laughs> there it is so and I also sometimes wonder because maybe you know that I'm also an NLP trainer, you know, mm -hmm. the neuro-linguistic programming. And they state that there's like three types of people. You have the very visual people who need to see, for instance, languages in writing. You have the very auditive people who hear and kind of pick it up. And you have the kinesthetic people who feel. And I always thought, how is it possible that I'm so good at languages, yet I can't remember any song texts? <laughs> I used to sing in a choir and we had to learn all the lyrics off by heart because they didn't want us to sing with books. Right. And I just, I just kept singing, you know, either the wrong things or I didn't really remember what to th sing. So I would just mouth, kind of play back, <laughs> thinking, gosh, that's strange because if I once learn a language, I never forget it. Right. So I'm, I must be auditive. And actually, I have come to think that I'm more of a kinesthetic person. I just feel, I feel what people mean. And that's how I incorporate the language within me i think but, but i'm not 100 percent sure <laughs> well it's def well also it's it's an imperfect science anyway isn't it i mean you can't say that this is how it works because it's no. some boxes that we drew up sort of arbitrarily to sort of match behavior and when you go that way it's always like you squeeze people into the boxes instead of making the boxes bigger <laughs> or different shapes or whatever you know yeah, um, right. <laughs> so um so i don't think it's a for me, it's, it's, it's very interesting either way because I think that something you said earlier is, is also very important. Like you said, 
that you told yourself that you were good at languages. Mm-hmm. Because yes. that, that must have boosted it immensely at the beginning, where most people's experience with languages start with, okay, we get a free native language, maybe two, and they don't worry about learning anything. And then they get to school and they have those boring grammar lessons and they don't really get anywhere. And then they're like, oh, I'm rubbish at languages. And then you start sort of telling yourself that you're terrible at languages. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, that's when it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Yes, I think you're right. But maybe even more important there is is just the, the interest. Because I think even before I told myself I was good at it, I was so interested in communicating. So I actually have always seen a language as well, the means uh, to communicate with people. And I myself am a teacher now of English and German. And this is actually what I miss in my students and, and can't seem to, well, anyway, not in all cases, uh, I'm able to kindle, you know, to, to awaken that spirit in them, this curiosity, like, oh, so how do I say that in different language? Right. Also, of course, I am um, dependent of course books, which, as you say, can be very boring and unmotivating. But whatever other things I think of, um, well, it doesn't always seem to r- well, resonate with, with my students. They treat it a little bit They're, like math, maybe, where it's, you have to remember yes. some facts. and. Yes, right. you're exactly right. Although the funny thing was, you know, people also say sometimes that, well, if you're good at math, you're not good at languages. Hmm. And actually, a colleague of mine, who is a physics teacher, he said, well, I discovered that languages are very logical. Yeah. Uh, in, in, and I mean, in a sense, it's like learning, um, well, math, you know, like anything uh, you you have a number like x to the my two plus four is eight so what is x you know and actually that is the way how languages do work like if you have a verb let me take uh, the spanish hablar again then okay if you put your in front in front of it then what what does it change to so there is there is this logic <laughs> right, and, and I, I don't know. Maybe that's what I understand quickly in a language. Maybe that helps in language learning. You know. Right, and of course, there's also the element of assimilation, which is a uh, which actually it took me a really long time to realize that Assimil, the French company name, mm-hmm. actually was based on the word assimilation. <laughs> oh, okay. It took me like a hundred years. I was like, <laughs> Assimil, that's such a nice name. And then one day I was like, this is really an assimilate. Oh wait, <laughs> you know. Oh. <laughs> so that's pretty funny, but it it does sound like that's what you're doing, and and I know a lot of people are are quite good at. They sort of when they get a lot of comprehensible input, they sort of decode what's important. And I know that that's some something you also talked about in your uh, talk at Budapest. Mm-hmm. You talked about how you know if our minds had to really consider everything we saw and consider all of the input then we would be you know doing nothing but just being overpowered all the time yes. so a lot gets pushed into the i guess it's just a subconscious uh, or maybe not even registered it maybe just goes out again but uh, that's also got something to do with it that you know from experience as well that oh this word i won't really need mm-hmm. i don't know the word for i don't know moving piston in an engineering piece <laughs> or something i mean you just realize okay the chances I'm going to use this in 
Italian or whatever is quite limited. So it'd probably better you learn the word for uh, a drink or a beer or something, you know, that you would actually use. Yes, uh, that's true. Yeah, that's that's indeed something I do try to do in school with my students. Well, actually, I don't try. I do it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, I, I tell them, okay, what words would you want to know if you go to a place where they speak German or English, you know, what what would you want to communicate with people? That's why course books usually start with things about yourself and your own world because, yeah, hey, that's what we talk about when we speak to others. <clears throat> exactly. So, yeah. Don't speak about 20 different kinds of birds. <laughs> no, because the funny thing is I, I did an Arab course and one of the first words and the funny thing is, of course, that's the word that sticks most to my mind is the word for, and I don't think I even know it in, in English, uh, it's called quit. Quitten in German, quay mm -hmm. What is it in English? It's a kind of a. It's a sparrow a or something. No, it's a pear that you can't eat. Oh. You, you can put it. You can make it to jelly, <clears throat> but in Arabic it's called safarjala. Now, if I don't even know the word in English, <laughs> right? And <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, in Berlin, uh, staying at my uncle's place, he made a jelly or jam, actually, a kind of a marmalade from this these quitten. That's why I know the word in German now. But I mean. I thought, what's? Why would I want to know that word? You know, in a, in a language, if I don't, well, I had never eaten it up right. to then, and <laughs> that's what course books often do. Yeah, that's the shame. I think that they yeah. focus on these things because one of the big aha moments for me was when the, I was looking at the kind of hacking foreign language conversation. I was looking at the work Anthony Lauder did, for instance, mm -hmm. where he said, "Well, you might not know all the nouns." But or so the so-called important things. Mm -hmm. But you can just learn. First of all, you can just learn the word "thing" if you're doing English. So mm -hmm. you can say like the thing that flies, for instance. Mm -hmm. Or you can have those sentence con uh, connectors. You know where you can say, "Hmm, that's a good question," because that gives you some time to think about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's the What's the real word that I'm looking for here? That's true. Um, so for me, that was quite cool. That. Well, you don't really know, need to know much. It's just like, uh, you know, that thing, that person, that place. I mean, that yes. covers pretty much every noun in the world. And most of the time, people are going to understand from context or you can add another word to it. So, like, uh, that becomes a little bit Tokipona-ish. But anyway, you know, you can say, like, holy man, that's obviously a minister or or <laughs> the pope or something. Exactly. Or, well, I always teach my, my students as well to learn opposites. Like I say, okay, you learn uh, fat and thin. And then if you don't remember the word for thin, then you say not fat. Exactly. That's 50% vocabulary right there. Yeah. That's that's genius. And Esperanto, of course, is famous for having these uh, features built in where you can just, you can just uh, put a prefix on a word and then it instantly turns it into the opposite. Yes. Um, for instance, I was at an Esperanto course in Berlin and I couldn't remember the word for man, mm -hmm. so I just said mal uh, virino, I think. So, <laughs> not woman. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they understood me. Of course, they corrected me because it's not good uh, Esperanto form. No, no. But, uh, you know, the, the point is being understood, isn't it? It's not about being correct. That's also one of the pillars is, um, you know, you should just speak and be understood. And then as you get feedback, as you hear more input... You, the language automatically corrects itself, doesn't it? Yes, it does. The, the funny thing is, I think most people are very scared of making mistakes. And, um, well, this was also a topic in Novi Sad, of course. 
and Claudio also points it out that if you speak of mistakes, you know, then that automatically implies that it's wrong. So, um, yeah, mistakes is, on itself is a word that, well, it doesn't come in handy for language learning because I think you should just speak. And whenever it is not completely correct, <laughs> people will tell you what the correct form is. But if you see it as a mistake, then it's like, oh my God, you know, I made a mistake. Right. Well, it's just that your speech is not yet perfect. I mean, like small kids learn a language. If, if a kid says, um, I, I wanting milk, then the mother will just, or the father or anybody around will just repeat, oh, you want milk. They won't say, what? You said wanting. <laughs> That's wrong. You right. Know? So that also helps. Just speak. And the funny thing is, I haven't ever learned Esperanto yet. Um, but uh, Sylvain, you know, the uh, French guy who's lived in Holland for a long time. Yes. Who, who teaches Esperanto. He spoke to me like an hour in Esperanto. And I spoke back to him in Spanish. And we had a perfect conversation. Yeah. It was really cool. And the same actually happened when I spoke to Yakov. He spoke Yiddish to me. And I spoke German back. And then, you know, you know, after like five minutes, we completely forgot that the other person didn't really speak our language. Right. Or only had a certain level. And, well, sometimes if we didn't quite understand, we were like, uh, sorry. <laughs> and then, well, you use other words and you understand each other. Exactly. And before we move on to the next question, Carol, I just wanted to take a moment to listen to a message from our sponsor. Mellow Method is the learning revolution since 1995. Now you can make your dream of living your passion for languages real. Do you want a method that really teaches you a language? What if you could have your own school and get success teaching your students perfect lessons, 100% focused on conversation? Even if you have no experience, Mellow Method will work where other methods can't. With Mellow Method, you will overcome the speaking barrier from lesson one. Jimmy Mello, the Brazilian polyglot, has created the best method to teach any foreign language. It's now available in 11 languages from English to Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese, including Mandarin and Polish. Be a polyglot with Mellow Method. Access right now www.mellowmethod.com and reach your goals with Mellow Method, the best method ever created to teach and learn any language. What does it take to be able to make mistakes? Because I was, when I started out in language learning, I was exactly the same. I was like, I needed to be sure that the sentence was correct before I send it off. Like if uh -huh. I was doing IM or stuff. And of course I could never really know, but I, my sort of um, proofing was, okay, am I relatively sure of the sentence? And I'm like, uh, okay. So if I, if I pasted it into Google Translate and it didn't give any you know suggestions below, that was kind of my error filter. And of course, it's not perfect, but mm. it just shows you the fear of mistakes to a degree where I should have just really just been typing and not really bothered too much about it. I mean, of course, there's some element of learning in it as well, but it also really inhibited my speaking because I would be thinking so hard about the next sentence about not, I don't want to make a mistake, so I need to prepare the sentence. Yeah, well, I can relate to that. Uh, I have or I had that problem with Arabic. I had a teacher from Iran, and she was actually the only one I spoke or I could speak Arabic to, and I've always felt very inhibited 
but I so I think it depends also on the receiving party. If you find a teacher or or um, anybody who you are speaking to or well typing with, let's say, I think they should give you the the confidence, or they should how should I put that install in you the confidence that it doesn't matter whatever you say, whatever you write, you know, they'll just kind of shrug it off and correct you in a soft way because I'm not sure who said it. I've, I've been attending so many lectures at all these <laughs> conferences. Maybe it was Anthony Lauder. Maybe it was someone else who said, well, you know, if there's somebody who really behaves like, uh, well, this is not a very nice word, the grammar Nazi, as they sometimes call them, you right. know, or they immediately say, no, no, you shouldn't say that. You should say this. Well, then you're kind of put off and you think, oops. Then you'll think twice the next time before you say anything or write anything. But if it's somebody who just matter-of-factly corrects you, then it's like, oh, okay, it's okay to make non-correct sentences. <laughs> yeah, and I find that in a sort of a, a real environment, like if you're in the gathering and you're practicing languages, people are very unlikely to correct you. I mean, if they're native speakers, of course, they have a higher propensity to do so. But if they're not native speakers but have a really high level in the language, they know the struggles that you're going through so they'll sort of just say as long as they understand you they'll let you keep speaking which i think is the is the most important thing and definitely what changed for me was that i suddenly just threw caution to the wind and i was just speaking and my tutor had to be like what does that mean <laughs> because yeah. i i was starting to make up words in russian which uh, oh that's so funny yeah. sometimes you can do that in particularly in russian because it's so logical that you know you can change words from uh, nouns to adjectives to uh, verbs by some very common endings mm -hmm. but of course there are exceptions and <laughs> they don't all have that ending it's not Esperanto after all but and she was like what does that mean and actually sometimes I would get frustrated that she couldn't see the connection yeah you know <laughs> like I can see it how come you don't see it yeah, yeah. or like if you use the different uh, verb you know in, in Russian there are like 10 different words to, to for the English to go depending if you're going one way or back or if you're going uh -huh if you're going by foot or if you're going by vehicle, blah, blah, blah. There's tons of them. And sometimes you just not understand at all, even just because I used the wrong go. And I was like, why don't you understand? Because it's in English. I, I know that go can mean any form. Mm -hmm. And I was, then, I was, then I took it a step further and I was like, well, even if you don't understand the exact meaning, can't you sort of, <laughs> can't you just yeah. go inside my head and see what I'm trying to say, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Well, I had it. I found it even um, an example. I don't even know how to call it, but I was in the Dominican Republic and I, well, I thought I already spoke Spanish very well. And I asked for an ice cream and I said, Bainilla. And she said, what? And I kind of even pointed out to the vanilla ice cream and I said, Vainilla. And she said, oh, Vainilla. And I thought, <laughs> my God, you know, can't you understand me? I mean, between the distance between like vainilla and vainilla right or vainilla as they would say in, in argentina is not very big i mean how come she didn't understand me then i thought well okay so maybe people who are not used to uh people who have another mother tongue you know speaking their language it would sound strange yeah that, i'm i'm so, sure and it's just we you're attacking the problem with a curious language learner mind, so you can yeah. see you can see connections because I think that's the biggest uh, uh, power trait of a polyglot is they they see connections. For instance, if you see a word 
that in a language and it reminds you of a word in another language, you see it immediately. Exactly. You see it immediately. So you're, you're connecting basically all your languages. And so when, when people don't understand even a connection in their own language, when it seems blatantly obvious, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of a funny situation. But, it's uh, surprising. Yeah, you think, well, how's that possible? And you, you start indeed finding connections in so many ways. Like, for instance, in Indonesia, I was a tour leader for a long time. And of course, there's a lot of Dutch because it has been a Dutch colony. Of course, there's like Portuguese uh, heritage. I mean... The Portuguese sailed over there as well. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, Igreja in Portuguese is Gereja in Indonesian, you know, things like that. But then when I started learning Greek, all of a sudden I realized that the word for head, kifali, in Indonesian is kapala. And I thought, well, that's strange. You know, you start finding these. Yeah. Uh, they're like little treasures. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I found a Greek word in Indonesian. <laughs> there you go. I mean... Yeah. There are German words in Russian as well, which is, I mean, per perhaps not uh, surprising, but it's just weird. <laughs> you don't expect it when you're listening to Russian speakers and they suddenly say something like, Butterbrot, you know? Ah, no, you don't. That's, That's funny. It's, yeah. so, it's so funny. But uh, but anyway, I um, wanted to talk to you a little bit about the the aspect of moving to the country because it seems like you've done that quite a lot. Um, do you think... Do you think that's a, a hugely winning strategy for most people? Or do you think it takes a certain kind of person to sort of take in a lot? Because you hear about a lot of people who, for instance, you know, Benny's famous story was like, I spent a year in Spain. I expected to learn Spanish. I didn't learn anything. Um, you know, how how is that relationship? Well, I'm not completely sure. I mean, I think it's different for everybody, but I've never actually lived in the countries. I mean, I, I was there like... When I went to Italy um, to work in a hotel, yes, I spent some time there, but that was like two months. So I don't really think I moved there. In Indonesia, I was a tour leader, but I went there like three weeks, moving around constantly with Dutch people. <laughs> so it wasn't that I was speaking Indonesian all day long. And then I went back to Holland again for a week or two weeks and then back to Indonesia. Right. So... So is that a better strategy? I mean, if you're just going for those, I guess you can call it like intensive uh, periods in the country because you, you kind of know, okay, I only got two months, so I better not, you know, slack off too much. But if you live there and you say, okay, I'm going to stay here until I learn it, then that just, I guess the challenge just grows to the time that you have. So maybe is that a factor? Yeah, probably. The thing is, I've never, that's why I, I keep being a bit surprised, you know, like, oh, I am actually a polyglot because, well, the talk of the talk Richard uh, did in Berlin now, he said you have these accidental multilingual people. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, oh, maybe that's a better description of me, you know. I, I don't know. I, I seem to keep learning all these languages by accident because whenever I really say, okay, now I'm going to learn a language, then I'm not as well, I don't progress as quickly and I'm not as good at it. I mean, I bought a book after having been in Budapest. I bought uh, a book to learn Hungarian. But then once I was back in Holland, I thought, why am I actually wanting to learn Hungarian? Right. And because it also depends on why you pick the language you want to learn. You know, actually, I've also I've always learned the language, for instance, Indonesian, because I knew I was going to go there for, for, for a longer period 
period of time like okay so next month I'll be going there again and three weeks later again so it made sense although people did say well why would you want to learn the language you have a local guide who speaks Dutch or English um, so why would you want to learn the language and then I thought yeah but I want to communicate when I'm there mm -hmm. so basically for me it's not like aha I want another language on my card the next time I go to the conference for me <laughs> it's like I'm going to learn a language to be able to speak to people who I will be visiting you know more than once right and yeah. then by the time I know the language probably I'll never visit them again <laughs> for, <laughs> what, for whatever reason but then it's um, there you know you can reactivate it if you yes well it. that's it and then once I know it I know it but the thing is like what what Benny says yeah that you have to go there no I don't believe that I don't think he said that. He, I don't think he said that. He, his story was just that he wasn't in, in in Spain for a year and didn't learn any oh. Spanish. So that was okay. just a horror story of immersion failing. Okay, um, well, I think, yeah, like everything, it's so relative. It depends on the person. But I, I don't think for me it would be possible to go and live in a country and not learn the language because I'm I'm communicative and I communicate with, with everybody. I mean... The street sweepers, the garbage men, the the sell, selling, you know, sales personnel in the <laughs> shops, yeah. So then, you have to communicate. Yeah, and that's also why I guess because you're, I mean, would it be would it be safe to say that you're an extroverted person in that case? <laughs> yes, <laughs> very safe. Good, good. Because then I, I I could see that some introverts might have trouble just sort of speaking in a completely foreign language in a completely foreign environment mm -hmm. so perhaps it's it's the challenge of uh i don't know getting out of your comfort zone and i don't know it's also hard you know if you're really shy and introverted and it's kind of harsh to just say well go out and speak to someone you'll you'll get there you know yeah well that's the thing um a lot of people kind of seem to have the well they they portray themselves as being the ones who have all the knowledge I don't think that that is me and I would never go out and say to anybody like oh you should do this or you should do that right. I, I tell people find your own way and for some people it may very well be the best way ever to sit at home and study grammar and you know read books or whatever and learn although I do think that the best way to learn the language is to to anyway express yourself in it so whether you speak to other people or just recite poems i saw judith reciting or i saw and i heard her reciting a chinese poem so reading out loud right i think professor argelis uh, talked about that in novisad reading out loud or writing letters that's actually how i learned croatian uh, more than even being in Croatia on holiday. After I was at home, you know, I started writing letters and my first letters must have been, you know, like a six-year-old who's, <laughs> who's just learned how to write. But yeah, the people I wrote to kept writing back and then I thought, oh, oh, so that's actually the way you should say it. Oh, okay. You know, and yeah, that's how I learned. Fantastic. And um, also, I've I've noticed that you took part in... Most of the gatherings and conferences that's been held so far. What what made you go to um, the one in Budapest? Was was kind of the foundation the for all these? Yeah, well, I I don't actually know 
how because I don't think I was consciously searching for polyglots because as I said I didn't even know I was one but I came across some of these videos by Alex and by uh, Richard and then I and Luca also and then I found out that they were through Facebook I think that they were doing this polyglot thing in uh, in Budapest and then since I saw that the program would be mainly on the subject we're talking about now I volunteered and I said well hey how would you like me to speak of the use of language well any language whatsoever because that's also what interests me in how do people put things you know in their own language uh, how do they phrase things because every language is a different view onto the world and well being an NLP trainer that's that's also something that really interests me like for instance if I tell people oh language learning is really difficult well do you think that sounds motivational <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so what NLP does is it says and that's something you do yourself uh, when you said well sometimes you just use the opposite you know for a female is not a man well if you want to say difficult you can say not easy because the brain will hear the word easy right and that's something that I wanted to bring across that no matter what language you speak and I'm of course I don't speak all the languages in the world so I can't be sure about for instance Chinese or any language I don't speak <laughs> how they phrase things yet I think it's important to to realize you know that you can also help your language learning by influencing yourself um, in the way you phrase things Right. Like if you're struggling at home, you can't seem to get the motivation to uh, pick up the phrase, the assimil or whatever. Mm -hmm. Are there any are there any tips and tricks uh, we can do to ourselves to change our uh, sort of uh, programming, as it as it called? Yes. What what they use a lot in um, in hypnosis actually <laughs> uh, is also like future pace. That okay maybe at this point it's not working out exactly the way I want it to and I'm sure that within a week I will have made progress uh -huh. so that is a way of programming yourself that's why it's called neurolinguistic programming right. <laughs> Pro programming yourself with the language you use whatever language that may be to be successful so then you will say, so, okay, maybe the step of me wanting to learn 20 words a day is um, a little much. I'm sure I can do at least five. And then when you do the five, then you're like, okay, this was a success. So if I can do five, I can at least do 10 tomorrow. You know, and that, that way you build it up. Right. So no, not like oh my god, I'm so stupid. I can't remember these twenty words. That doesn't help. So you have to kind of find the language you can use talking to yourself that is helpful. Right. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. But the one thing I, I you know I, I understand the idea of positive thinking because it's and also the positive phrasing of things mm -hmm. um, because it it really is true that if you if you think that there's something you can't do, then you can't do it because that's that's the limitation of our minds. If we <laughs> if we convince ourselves we can't do something, then the chances of us doing it is like zero, or maybe zero point one. But anyway, the 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 only thing I'm thinking is like when you say, well, you should tell yourself this, or you should 
then try and say that does that mean we have to sit in a sort of chant or before we go studying or <laughs> no. No, no, no. <laughs> or is no, it do you have no, it on a note should, should is or? also uh, no should is also a big word as i said uh, i don't know i i don't like telling people what they should do well you're that's... a trainer you have to at least uh assert some uh, right <laughs> pressure yeah yeah pressure. <laughs> You must. Um, yeah, you must. Well, those are those are what I call the red words. The green words, like you, you are allowed to. You may. You can. You know, right. They sound more positive. But no, it's not like a chant. It is changing your beliefs, and you can only do that by self-speech. I mean, people can tell you as well. So the self-speech is the is your thinking, and you don't need to chant it to yourself. What you can do is say, okay, how realistic are my goals? Let's start with small steps, you know, like five words instead of 20 and take it from there. Right. Uh, I mean, then, keep it, keep it achievable. Yes, exactly. Hmm. It's really interesting. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I love when, uh, when the podcast, uh, with the talk here, it makes me like, hmm, that's <laughs> interesting because, uh, I totally believe in the, in the power of, uh, like words. I think if you tell yourself you're no good, then you will just seek to fulfill that sort of prophecy, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. And there was a talk at the, uh, in Berlin as well about, um, I think it was Ulysses who, who told about, you know, in certain languages there are only a limited amount of words for things, for instance, and then I said, yes, well, like in Spanish, you don't have feet. I mean, of course you have feet <laughs> <laughs> and in Greek as well, but you, you say, uh, or you have feet. No, sorry. You do have feet, but you don't have toes. Right. So for instance, you would say dedo de la mano, which is the finger of the hand. And you will say dedo del pie. Right. So for me, it sounds foot. like the finger of the foot. And that's, that's what is interesting that language does influence the way we think. For sure. So, knowing that, it also influenced the way we feel. Because how we feel is a direct... Uh, now I can't think of the word, speaking of all these words. Is the consequence of the way we think. Because, yeah, like if I walk in the street and I see you somewhere and I say, Hey, Chris, and you don't answer. Well, either I think, oh, gosh, he doesn't want to see me. I think he doesn't like me anymore. What's wrong with him? You know, what's wrong with me? Whoa. And then I start feeling <laughs> depressed. Yeah. Or if I wave and you don't respond, I think, ah, he's probably uh, with his thoughts, you know, somewhere else. He didn't hear me. And then I won't feel bad. I'll feel perfectly normal. So the way we think has an influence on the way we feel. And therefore, <laughs> it influences our learning. Yeah, it's 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 incredible, and I actually um, I recommend people watch the uh, the full presentation you did because there were a lot of like aha moments or like that really made people think, and it was a very uh, well received uh, presentation. Um, I know uh, we're running a little bit uh, short on time here, but apart from you know t being positive, trying not to use the negative words, are there any other tips as a as an NLP trainer you could pass on to people to improve their language training and, and maybe uh, their lives in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the time we're still okay. And the presentation you were talking about, I think the the one that was more NLP was the one in Budapest. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, because the one in Novi Sad was a bit more about, well, metaphors and... Storytelling. Yeah, storytelling. Um, 
Well, one of one other tip is that people who are very visual, for instance, the visual memory is in the the left top of our. Uh, how should I say that? When you put your eyes, you turn your eyes up to the left corner and upwards. So left in each person. Yeah. You understand what I mean? Yeah. That's where the visual memory is. So if you look at, if you watch people's interviews on television, for instance, and they will recall something they have seen, you will always see their eyes moving oh. to the top left. <laughs> this is not like a, I'm a lie detector or so. Um, but that's where their visual memory is. So if they want to concur up, you know, call up an image, you will usually see their eyes going up left for the ones watching, of course, that is to the right. I hope I'm making myself clear here. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so if you really have problems internalizing a, a certain word or the spelling of a word, then you can hang it up in your room or your study somewhere where you have to look up to the left. <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell people with dyslexia as well. That really helps. Right. Yeah, that's a so, funny thing, isn't it? This, this uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the, we could talk for about about that for a whole episode as well. I think, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, as well. I'm always fa I was always fascinated about that because I mean, when you don't have it, you just don't understand it. You know, it, uh, no, no, exactly. you can you can attempt to sort of, I guess, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, you know, empathize. <laughs> it's so hard to do the th if you're Danish, but you know what I mean. <laughs> empathize, yeah. <laughs> empathize. empathize. Emphasize, well, yeah. The thing is, we had a training as teachers. There was this man, um, I think he's about 60, and he, he gave a training because he discovered that he had dyslexia only when he was like 45 or 50 years old. Wow. Yeah, so he always thought he was stupid. I don't know how he could have thought that because he did pass, you know, he has a university degree. But he said, yeah, I was always so slow in reading. Well, of course, now we know why. <laughs> So he had all kinds of texts in, in little scribbles and letters. And he, he was then saying, well, this is what it looks like to me. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's uh, pretty unintelligible. <laughs> right. And they're changing the world. They're changing that now, actually. I just read an article recently about uh, there's some, I call them scientists, whatever. They, they designed a computer fund that highlights features of each letter so they don't look so similar. Which is really cool. I mean, when you think about it, that's like inventing the glasses or uh, the wheel or something. You know, it's yeah, yeah, it's really uh, incredible. Um, but it just makes a lot of sense that if you could, you know, the letters are quite similar when you think about it. I mean, I don't want to go into like Russian cursive because that's just the same all the time. But you know, when you have the English alphabet, a lot of the letters gen have the same kind of shape. And yeah, that's true. It's just um, so they what they did was they they took. The letters where dyslexics get confused because as you know when you're reading you're not really reading every letter you just kind of the brain just sees something and then it fills in the blank and only if you don't know the word do you get stumped by it but for dyslexic people if they get stumped every other word that's really when the the trouble starts and yes they they, they need to distinguish more between those similar letters so I, that, that's just a, a cool development. I think that they sort of they made some of the letters a little bit angled, and they added a little bit of a an extra tail to one of the letters. And it, I, I just thought it was really cool. But again, it's taken a long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can imagine. Exactly. So um, I think um, 
I'll uh, I'll let you go for now because uh, you said you had an appointment. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time and uh, also enduring all the technical problems that uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had well, leading up to this. Yeah, well, it was you that was doing the enduring. I was just getting a bit frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no Because I wanted to be in time, so that's okay. Thank you so there? much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just had to cough because um, <laughs> yeah, I'm still a little sick, but um, uh, not as sick as last week. But feeling uh, feeling good. But when you make me laugh, I have to cough afterwards. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was a great pleasure, and, and it was a great pleasure to meet you in in person in Berlin as well. And uh, I'm sure we'll meet uh, somewhere in Europe, uh, uh, not too uh, not too far away from here. <laughs> no, well, you're always welcome in Holland. Thank you for listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast. If you would like to get more out of the podcast, check out the VIP Club by going to actualfluency.com slash VIP.